How is everybody tonight? Are y'all having a good time? And the Lighthouse coffee was awesome. Kudos to Lighthouse for bringing that. And the cupcakes came from Eloise's Market, um, which is a new place down off of Lee. And I asked her for 300 cupcakes on Tuesday, and she made that happen. So that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you all for being here tonight. Um, we have a lot of great things going on at the chapel, and we just really want you to be a part of all those things. Um, for those of you who don't, who I don't know, my name is Tori Gill. I'm on staff here at the chapel as our associate next steps director and um, as you've heard us say maybe before here at the chapel we believe everybody has a next step to take whether that's membership baptism joining a group or being a part of chapel women so we hope that you take that step this uh tonight consider those things talk to your friends and be a part of that so i want to put a picture up here i've been married to my sweet husband ricky for 11 years and here are my four sweet kiddos. Virginia is my oldest, Bo, Sarah Jane, and John. And um, we don't have any like really good family photos, so this is the best we got. Um, <laughs> I'm a former politico and fundraiser turned ministry leader, and God just wrapped his arms around me and uh, brought me here. And I'm just, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. It's been an incredible journey. And as I said before, I'm so thankful to have you here in this room tonight. Can you get over all of these people in one room? It's amazing, it is amazing. So thank you. And thank you to all who worked tirelessly to get this done. It is incredible. Um, so tonight, my heart's desire is something that I have been praying for um, since really we came up with this idea to have a Christmas celebration is that for all of us in this room who carry our burdens and just our heavy loads, we're women who just, we do a lot of things. And so I wanted this to be a place where we could let those go. So that's why we started with singing and worship. Um, and that's what I hope our message is here today, to take him up on his offer, Jesus's offer, to walk with him in our daily lives and to experience a rest that only he can give. Um, so I'm a one-on-one -on -one type person. I love having coffee, and if you know me, I do not know a short conversation. And so tonight, I hope that that is what this is, that you're not in a room full of people, but that it's just you and me, and we're sharing life together, because we're going to talk about some things you're going to go, I thought this was a Christmas celebration, but I couldn't help but come here and not be real with each of you. This has been a really hard past couple of years, and the fact that we're even in a room together with this many women is amazing, and we should be so thankful. So tonight we're going to be real, and that's, what, that's my hope and desire. So let's do this. Let's all bow our heads, and let's invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of this conversation with us tonight. Dear Lord, thank you. God, thank you for this room full of women. Thank you for their journey here. Um, Lord, we know that each person came in this room for a reason. It's not uh, by accident. And so, God, I pray for our time together that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that we would come to know you. We would um, take up your yoke, Lord, and we would walk with you. And we can experience your rest, Lord. That's what I pray, Lord, over these women, that we would experience rest. And so be with us this day. Fill me with your words. If there's anything that I shouldn't say, God, take that away. If there's anything I should say that I haven't thought of, Lord, fill me with that. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I love Christmas time. Who doesn't love Christmas time? This is awesome, right? We've got our decorations. We have our extra, you know, energy and traditions and all the things that we do with our kids. But if I'm being completely honest with you, Christmas time kind of stresses me out. And it's only because I'm a procrastinator to my core. Like, for real, deep, deep down in there, I'm a procrastinator. Big ideas, not enough time. It's a deadly combination. And I'm not just like any run-of-the-mill procrastinator. Um, I, I am what I would like to call a perfectionist procrastinator. So a regular run-of-the-mill procrastinator, maybe you're one of those, is somebody who, you know, you have some ideas, but you run out of time, so you wisely pivot, and you come up with an easy solution, and all is good. Well, a perfectionist procrastinator, <laughs> we, we don't let go of our plans, and we stay up all night long. We've got everything to do, and we, we pull all-nighters, and I've had my fair share more than I would like to admit, of all-nighters in college and in adult life. So put all those things together, the added to-dos of Christmas time. It's a deadly combination. Um, and actually, just out of sheer desperation a few years ago, I, I joined like an online support group for like procrastinators <laughs> during Christmas time. It's true. It actually exists. And you, I paid this lady money, and I got like a template of like a schedule, and you started in September. And by the time like the beginning of December came around, you had all everything done. I remember my husband was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I paid so I could be better at this. Um, so yeah, so just take all that into account. It was, it was great. I needed that structure, and um, I loved it. I really, I really did. Uh, and some of you in this room are like, you can't even fathom the words that are coming out of my mouth that I would need help to get things done for Christmas because you love Christmas, and you get your Christmas trees out in like September, like the first one, um, and somehow you magically get your Christmas cards like to arrive at people's mailboxes the day after Thanksgiving. I don't know, like, if you have something worked out with the mailman. I don't really know how that works. Uh, but I'm super jealous. I want to beat you. Show me your ways. Uh, but I've got a picture here of our Christmas tree and our snow village. Isn't that so pretty? I can't take any credit for it. Um, I actually put this on Instagram this week and got some really awesome messages, like, wow, you are like a Christmas decor guru, and I just had to laugh, and I said, no, 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 my, my husband did the snow village. The Christmas tree kind of has ornaments on it, but you can't tell because it's like, you know, early morning, um, but it's very pretty, and I love to enjoy it. What you don't see is the other side of the room, which is that. <laughs> Can anybody relate? <laughs> yes, and the sad truth is I pushed those boxes out of the way to take the picture. <laughs> You could kind of see one of them, and I was like, oh, no, we got to get that out of the way. Don't put the boxes up, but get a good picture. Um, so I'm a mess, right? That's, that's what those pictures are up there for. I am a mess. And I know I have messes and burdens that go far beyond my, my lack of, you know, getting things done and being busy, um, you know, even getting Christmas cards out on time. I wanted to show you a picture of our family's Christmas card, but I didn't. I haven't done it yet, so <laughs> I need to go back to the support group. Maybe that will, that will help me. So we all have these messes. We all have these burdens, and if you're anything like me, that weighs on you. Like, we hold on to it. We walk around with it. We have a really hard time letting it go because we put these things on ourselves, and it's exhausting. And I would say that our messes and burdens not only weigh on us, but add to that, I think there's another layer there of failures and unmet expectations and fears 
think we can all sit with the word fear for a little bit, right? Like that's kind of driven so much. What is going on? And not just fear of the pandemic, but fear of the unknown. That's got just like this extra layer of weight and just add to the general anxiety of all that's going on in our ever-changing world. And before the day even starts, I think we, we feel exhausted. We feel exhausted. And so tonight I want to spend some time meditating on Jesus's words in the book of Matthew. And he acknowledges this weight and he offers hope. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app or you can look on the screen, we're going to be camped out in Matthew chapter 11 and go all the way down to the bottom. We're going to be starting in verse 28. And it says this, it says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I read these verses and I sat on them and I just felt the Lord directing me to this. Remember, this was my, my hope and vision for tonight would be for us to just rest. And he brought this passage my way, and I just, I see three movements and progressions, and I want to walk through those with you tonight, because I think when we just sit here and we start to see how things are connected, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So at this point in Jesus's ministry, in Matthew chapter 11, opposition is, a, is gaining momentum. Opposition in his ministry, in the things he was doing, he was teaching, he was preaching. And at the very begin, beginning of chapter 11, we see John the Baptist, right? His cousin, somebody who was born and his purpose for this world was to come and pave the way for him. He's in prison. And uh, he, he catches word of like all the great things that Jesus has been doing with his teaching and preaching and miracles. And he gets one of John's the Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples, comes to him, to his prison, and he sends, uh, he writes a note, and he says, take, take this to Jesus. Now, what do you think that note would be? Like, I think it would be, good job, buddy, you're doing great things. I'm so excited, the kingdom is here. Um, no, it actually, it actually says something very different, and I, there's a lot to that. It, uh, it says this, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You're like, but, but that was your purpose. Don't you know that? Like, you're in prison for this reason. Should we expect someone else? Why is that? It's expectations, right? John the Baptist had a different expectation. Maybe not always, but I don't know how long he was in prison. Maybe it was too long, and he was like, this man should be coming back. What is going on? And as you go through Matthew chapter 11, he, um, Jesus starts to call out entire cities. The cities that he was doing all this great work in, they are still not believing in him. And he is like, I don't know what else I can do. And so he says this in verse 20. Then Jesus began, began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What more do you want? I'm doing all these things. But from this chapter, 
we learned that people were confusing Jesus with their expectation of who the Messiah would be. Pride and their preconceived notions of who the Messiah should be was not coming. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. But then you see his strong tone give way to realization. Jesus states this, those who are humble, teachable, aware that their sins and burdens were too much for them alone, would hear this message loud and clear. Can we all be that tonight? (laughs) Yeah, humble, teachable, aware that their sins and burdens were too much for them alone, would hear this message loud and clear. So let's look back at this passage again, and we're going to start talking through our progressions. We've got, oh, sorry, we've got three of them tonight, and the first one is this, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will, yeah, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I want to jump to I will give you rest, but because that's super exciting, but we'll get there, right? So come to me all who are weary and burdened. Jesus says, come to me. Come to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. He's inviting us into a personal relationship, and as we get here in Matthew chapter 11, there is a shift that starts to happen in Jesus's ministry. Before this statement, Jesus is saying he's got a corporate ask. Repent, the kingdom is here. And here we see in this verse, Jesus says, come to me. It's a personal invitation. So who is this Jesus we are to come to, to move toward, to believe in? I do not have enough time to answer this question comprehensively, Um, but if you join us this summer for SIP, we did talk about this. We talked about who is the person of Jesus, and we talked about different characteristics. We talked about his power, that he is good, that he is perfect. We talked about his truth, that he came to be the person that was promised that we see all throughout scripture. But for tonight, let's go back and see how Jesus describes himself in verse 29. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. I wonder if that description of himself was part of the reason that everybody didn't believe. Because they were thinking the Messiah should be somebody like a warrior king. He should be someone who could come and get John out of prison or do whatever, call out all the unrighteous people. But he says, no, I am gentle and humble in heart. And I think some words you could replace here are meek, kind, accessible. Jesus came and said, come, come right here. Come right here. I'm right here for you. And I think... Um, And what I don't want us to miss here is the contrast in who people think he should be and how he describes himself. Jesus the Messiah came to usher in a new kingdom, and he was born in the barn with animals. That's something you're going to hear about a lot this Christmas season as you read the Christmas story and as you talk about it with your family. And maybe when you read that, I'd love for you to go back and think about about this verse, that he is gentle and humble in heart. He, He came from the most humble beginnings. In those unbelieving cities, I wonder what their expectations were for the Messiah. And then we have John the Baptist, right? John's expectation is for Jesus to come and put a smackdown on those who have lived unrighteously for so long. 
And we all come with expectations of who Jesus is, just like John and the people of these regions that Jesus is calling out. And we might see Jesus as as someone, if I do this, maybe he'll do this. We work harder to gain his favor, but he doesn't work that way. He's not an austere warrior king. He doesn't love conditionally. He's gentle and humble in heart. So who gets to come to Jesus? It's a pretty easy answer there. All who are weary and burdened. Who's weary and burdened? Yes, yes. (laughs) And we're all weary and burdened from different things. I am every day when I sin against God, when I let down the people who I love very much, and I say, yes, I will do this, and then I don't do it. It weighs on me. The endless to-dos, the looming busyness of this season, season, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? All have fallen short of the glory of God, and Jesus knows it, but he doesn't care. (laughs) He doesn't care. He says, come here, bring me your mess and your unmet expectations. And the ESV translation for weary and burden actually says labor, all who labor and who are heavy laden. And I read a commentary as I was preparing for this, and it it outlined it beautifully. Uh, It said that labor means the work we put on ourselves, and heavy laden being the work others put on us. And I think that's an important distinction Um, Because I bet, if you're like me, you labor a lot. We put a lot of things on ourselves. And then when people ask us to do things and we don't do that, do you see that? Do you see what I'm saying here? There's so much that goes on between those two spheres of burden. And we walk around with that and we carry that. And so when we've been going through this, as I've been going through this time of, you know, researching what, it, what does it mean to be burdened and heavy laden, and then I've been thinking about, like, this is the, the world we live in, and, you know, trying to figure out pandemics and schools and masks, no masks, masks, vaccines, no vaccines, like, it's super exhausting, and I feel like for a time, every day it was something different, or you can just turn on the news and it's something different every day, and it reminds me, it reminds me of this meme, I hope that y'all have seen this. Has anybody seen this? Okay, so for this, like it's that lady, she's got her, she's like, what is going, so what do we have today? What do we, what's going on today? Like, what is going on is maybe the better question. So this one, which I think is very applicable to Southeast Louisiana, looking out the window in the morning to see what season it is today. What are we wearing? Do we wear jackets in the morning and shorts in the evening? I don't know. And this is just a funny depiction of what we're going through, Right? what we labor through, what is wearing on our hearts. Um, And it's heavy, and we carry our sins and our failures, and it can be really crushing. And Jesus says, bring me that. Bring me that. It's the biggest scandal that ever was. And I love this quote from Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, and he really breaks out this whole passage. He says, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. We have an active God. We have a Savior who comes to us and says, bring me that. What a gift. What a gift. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to get right and then come to Jesus. Jesus has already overcome it all. So my question to you is this. When we think about coming to Jesus, 
Will you come to him? Or maybe, have you come to him? What will you bring to him? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. So that's our first progression. This is our second progression here. In verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does anyone know what a yoke is? It's not a yoke like in the egg, <laughs> which is what my kids think. I have said the word yoke more times in the past like two weeks than ever in my life. Um, it's, it's this thing that goes, it's a wooden cross piece. I think I have a picture. There it is. Look at our little ox friends. I found the cutest picture I could find. Um, so it's that wooden cross piece. Do you see it? It like kind of goes like this, and it goes on the back of an ox or whatever, you know, animal, and it's attached to something, and it pulls it, right? And so because, and there's two sides, which is an important feature that we're going to go to in just a bit. So it goes on his back. And then it walks and it pulls and progresses. And what it does by having two is that it evenly distributes the weight across their necks. And so, like I said, yoke is not a term I use often. I don't know. Maybe you use that term. I do not. Uh, but when Jesus spoke these words, it actually was a common phrase. And I think that's important to note here. Um, and it expressed someone's obligation to God. You would hear things like yoke of the kingdom, yoke of the law, the yoke of repentance, the yoke of faith, the yoke of commands, and then just general yoke of God. So when Jesus spoke these words, in essence, he was simplifying this, right? We've got all these different yokes, all these things we're supposed to carry, all these things we're supposed to put on our back, but he says, take my yoke, take my yoke, because it is easy. Well, what a contrast, what a contrast to the heavy weight of the yoke people were used to carrying and he would be the substitution for all the yokes. So what does Jesus mean exactly when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light? And I want to look at the picture again here because there's two. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, what I think he's saying is we step under one of the sides. And guess who steps under the other? Jesus steps on. What did she say? <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> Something. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so Jesus goes under the other side. <laughs> and actually, whenever, um, whenever this happened, uh, back in the day, they would actually put a, a more experienced, older animal next to the younger animals, and it would help them learn to do whatever it is that they were doing, plow in a field or whatever. So do you see that? How cool is that? Jesus says, take my yoke. It's light because I'm walking next to you. And as we walk next to him, what are we doing? We're learning. And guess what? Their feet are probably going in similar paces, right? So we are walking with Jesus. It's a personal invitation. Come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm not sure it gets much better than that. The Savior of the world said, I'll get under that with you. Walk with me and learn from me. The yoke is easy and the burden is light because he walks with us. So what are some other yokes we can be connected to? How do we apply this 
since we don't have giant wooden cross pieces we put over our backs. As I was thinking about this, I thought, what is something that I am yoked to? Like, what do I walk around with? What do I look at all the time? What's always in my pocket? And it didn't take me long to realize I am yoked to this puppy right here. Yes. And not just, like, not just the phone itself, but what is on the phone. And when we pull up social media, we look at something, and then all of a sudden we see a family with their perfect Christmas card that's already done, and we're thinking like, wow, I am behind. I am not measuring up. And what that is is the yoke of expectations you are putting on yourself. That is what that is. And Jesus says, nope, take my yoke. Because it's a comparison trap, and, it's, and I think all of us have a yoke. Think about your priorities. Think about the things that you do, the things you pay attention to. There's your yoke. There's your yoke. And Jesus says, nope, take my yoke. And it's so easy to add to the weight of our own burdens. I tend to take on the yoke of all the things, being super mom, involved in everything, and in perpetual motion. But the yoke of Jesus does not include the burdens we choose to add to it. Let me say that again. The yoke of Jesus does not include the burdens we choose to add to it. So how do we stay underneath this yoke? I would say one way to do this is to exchange time on this with time in this, in the Bible, in God's word. And as we daily submit to Jesus' yoke, as we read God's word and live in community with other people chasing after Jesus, the Holy Spirit will transform you. It'll transform your life. And so in your bag tonight, if you want to pull this out or if you've seen it, this is an Advent guide that we have at the chapel. An Advent meaning the season of anticipation and waiting for the coming of Jesus. Um, and this time around uh, for our chapel Bible reading plan, there's a, passi- a passage at the top for it at the bottom, and the purpose behind this is for you to be in God's Word daily. And so each series we have here, we put out a new one of these, and it's to encourage you to stay yoked to Jesus, to learn from him, and um, get ready because he's going to change your life. The more time you're in it, the more time you see how awesome he is. And another way we do this is just living in community with other people. That's why we're talking about chapel women. That's why we want you to be a part of this. Because as you walk with other people who were yoked to the giant wooden cross piece that's not really light because it's Jesus's, you're going to learn from Jesus and from the accountability from other people. So those are my two life applications for you. Take a joke. It's easy. It's light. Spend time in God's word. Find a community of believers to be around um, and see what happens. So we've come to Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart, right? That's our first, our first progression. We've come to Jesus. We've given him our burdens, the things that are weighing on him. Now we've taken up his yoke. We're walking next to him. And now here's the cool part. Rest. This is our third progression. And it comes here at, um, at the beginning of verse 28 and at the end of verse 30. It says, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Maybe we just sit here for a second and we just hear the word rest spoken over us. <laughs> Maybe we'll feel more rested. Um, and actually, the literal translation 
of I will give you rest means I will rest you. Jesus says, I will rest you. We're going to go back to that at the end. But let's talk about where rest comes from. It doesn't take long to find it. Genesis chapter 2, what does God do? He creates the world and all the things in it, six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And as Moses and the Israelites were wandering through, you know, the wilderness in search of the promised land, uh, we see in the book of Exodus that the Sabbath began. So they would take a day of the week, and they would rest. And they had all kinds of things. I don't have enough time to go down that rabbit hole, but um, that's where we see the Sabbath. That's that, you know, that word that you hear, Sunday, the Sabbath. Um, And then we see um, a Sabbath, a super Sabbath, Uh, called the year of jubilee and we see that in the book of leviticus who would have thought we'd be in the book of leviticus at a chapel women's christmas celebration but here we are so here it is in verse 20 Um, we'll see so what happened here every seventh year the israelites would do three things they would release servants they would forgive debts and for an entire year they would not um, plant anything or harvest any crops So whatever they would have before on the sixth year, it says, you may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will will yield enough for three years. And so what's happening here is a yield and submission to God that we might trust in him and depend in him completely. Trust and dependence and rest, they go hand in hand. And we become restless when we tirelessly work to achieve. I think it's in our nature, our culture, work harder, get what you want, do what you want to do. Um, but that is not, that's not rest. And here God is instructing the Israelites to observe a hard stop. I love a hard stop. I don't like it at first because I'm like, what is going on? But I'm always so thankful. Because sometimes God just has to get a hold of you and just be like, sit. No more. No more. And uh, that's what this is. God says, I mean, that, that's what they were, uh, they were doing. They were honoring this hard stop. And so God is asking us to do the same when we find rest in him. And I would love to spend more time talking about this. I think this is fabulous. But if, when you fast forward to Matthew chapter 12, just a few verses from here, we see Jesus walking through a wheat field with his disciples. Um, some Pharisees are there too, and the disciples are hungry. And Jesus says, take some wheat, which was a big no-no at that time uh, for the Sabbath. And um, they were hungry. And so Jesus gives this whole litany, this description of like what David did and all this kind of good stuff. And um, I love what Jesus, is, Jesus says here. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am the Lord of this rest that you're talking about. And he says he's Son of Man, which is this whole other thing, but it's just this big thing where everybody is like, the, the Pharisees were fired up after this happened. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So if he is the Lord of the Sabbath, rest is now found in him, with him and by him. So this is where rest comes from and who rest is found in. How do we experience rest right now? 
And as I've spent time researching this, um, at first I thought that like rest on this side of eternity was different than rest on the other side of eternity, but I actually, I think it's the same. I think it's just different volumes. I think God gives us little snippets, little taste of that. So how are we, how do we know we're experiencing this type of rest right now? And I want to be intentional with this time. We've talked about come, take, now we're in rest. Is there something weighing on you that you are restless about? What is weighing on you? Are you trying tirelessly to fix it, or have you surrendered it? And when I was considering this rest litmus test, I thought about my friend Holly. And if you join us for SIT this summer, we spent one of our weeks talking about God's, good, God's goodness. And Holly shared her testimony of losing her daughter Sloan at 35 weeks pregnant. And I asked her to talk to me about this. How do you find rest right now? She said, through Sloan going to heaven, I have found rest in the Lord. This does not mean I'm cured of suffering or that I will always turn to the Lord when I'm desperate. It is possible to reach rock bottom multiple times in your life. God will still be there waiting for you to turn to him for rest when there is nothing else left. Being a follower of God does not mean you will receive less suffering than someone else. It does not mean you will always think of God first when tragedy happens. After Sloan, I miscarried Jude, and then I had a successful pregnancy that resulted in my daughter Ruby being born in March 2021. Every single appointment for my pregnancy with Ruby, I went in saying to myself, I trust you, God, and if you are going to take Ruby to heaven earlier than I want, I am ready and I trust you. And then the doctor would walk in or the ultrasound tech would turn on the machine and I would panic and think, no, 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 I changed my mind. I'm not ready. Please don't take her. It left me feeling like I failed in God's eyes. This is not true. God was there with me from the beginning to the end of each appointment. When I left each appointment panicked and in tears, I would sit in my car and just pray and cry in the parking lot. God was there waiting for me to rest in him. I am confident that God's character is consistent and my human self is a roller coaster of emotions. God will be waiting for me at each peak and valley. Even when I forget to turn to him first, he will be there every time, waiting for me and reminding me of his character and his love. And just last night, Ricky, which is her husband, shared with me that he called Ruby Sloan. I frequently say Sloan's name in conversation on accident. It is always a reminder of what is missing. We sat on the couch and silently cried. I said, we will see her again one day. We never got to see what color her eyes were. So we always talk to each other about what color we think her eyes will be when we see her. Both of my living children have blue eyes. We think Sloan will have green eyes. Ricky always imagines that he will be sitting on a bench, or she will be sitting on a bench with her curly hair and green eyes, waiting for the rest of her family in heaven. Jude sitting by her side. Hope in the midst of pain. Trust in the midst of turmoil. We all walk through this in different ways. Our sidewalks have different landscapes. But Jesus' promise is the same. I will rest you. And in the Greek, there are active, passive, and middle tenses. Active meaning you do it, passive meaning you receive it. And this right here is in the active tense. God is doing it. We are receiving it. He says, I will rest you. 
Come, take, receive his rest. Come, take, receive his rest. And as you look at these progressions, I think it's, it's the gospel, isn't it? It's the good news. We come to him as messy people, carrying sin and in desperate need of a savior, Jesus, who came as the promised Messiah. He walks with us. He's paid the price of our sins on the cross. And that's why the weight of his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the amazing gift we receive is eternal life, his rest. So what is your next step? Do you have something to bring to him? Are you ready to take his yoke and learn from him? And are you ready to receive his rest? Because he's ready. He's ready to give it to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time together. God, I pray for the women in this room. Lord, may they experience your rest. We are all weary and burdened. And we have a Savior who says, walk with me. I'm right next to you. And we have a Savior who says, I will give you rest. I am Lord of the Sabbath. You find it in my name. And so whatever it is that's weighing on our hearts tonight and the things that we are carrying, God, I pray that those things can be given to you, that we can come to you, we can believe in you, we can rest in you. And God, I pray that we submit and yield to your yoke so that we can come to know you in a more intimate, personal way. And that's what this was, Lord. This was a personal invitation to come and to know you. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the celebration of Christmas. And Lord, be with us as we finish our time tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.